Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Lewis Warshauer, and today we're studying Tractate Sukkah, page 10, Masechet Sukkah, Daf Yod. The discussion continues about the validity of one sukkah built on top of another. Uh, the Amoraim, the sages of the Gemara, disagree about the validity of this arrangement. And I want to speak in particular of one of them, uh, Rav Huna, who states as follows, A handbreadth of space between the roofing of the upper sukkah and the roofing of the lower sukkah makes each sukkah a separate entity, and thus the lower sukkah is invalid. In other words, that minimal amount of space serves to separate the two sukkot because one might be able to argue that if they're right against each other, we could just have one big sukkah. Of course, then we have the problem of uh, maximum height that would have to be uh, discussed and done correctly. But to return to Rav Huna's point about the use of a handbreadth as the dividing space between one, one space and another, he derives that from the laws of the transmission of ritual impurity. Uh, the classic case, as presented in the Torah, is that if one is in a tent in which a dead body is present, one becomes ritually impure. Uh, as elaborated in the Torah and then by the rabbis, this ritual impurity extends to objects as well. What, what we're told here is that this handbreadth of space also is relevant as far as the transmission of ritual impurities, that as little as a handbreadth of space is enough space for ritual impurity to be transmitted. The reason I wanted to mention that is that you might think it a little bit odd to compare such a, a morbid topic with the construction of a sukkah. In, in a sukkah, aren't we talking about something celebratory, which is not the case at all with the transmission of ritual impurity. And yet, even though one is a case of celebratory and the other is not, uh, we're still talking in some sense about sacred space. And uh, the, the transmission of ritual impurity and the avoidance of it in the eyes of the Torah, in the eyes of the rabbi, is also a, a sacred calling. The Gemara also introduces a completely different question in the assessment of the validity of one sukkah built on top of another. Uh, when Rav Dimi, one of the sages, one of the Talmudic sages from the land of Israel, came to Babylonia, he said that in his territory, in the land of Israel, the Mishnah is explained this way, that if the roofing of the lower sukkah 
isn't firm enough to be able to support the cushions and blankets of the upper sukha, then the lower sukha is fit, but the upper sukha is not suitable to be its own sukha. Uh, this is not the first time we've addressed the issue of flooring. That came up in, in page four as well. Uh, but it's the first time that we're seeing the question of the solidity of the flooring. Of course, that was not the, uh, a problem before if a sukkah is not being built one on top of another. If it's just on the ground, the flooring is, is supposed to be, is assumed to be solid. What this raises is, again, the question of the nature of a sukkah as a temporary residence and yet at the same time as a place that is a dwelling where one can actually live during the holiday. And presumably, a dwelling is a place that should be firmly floored. A new Mishnah addresses the issue of something that could serve as an interruption vis-a-vis -vis the schach, the roofing. Uh, if one spreads a, a sheet over the schach uh, or a sheet within the sukkah for various circumstances. It might be a canopy of a bed, bearing in mind that, that people would, would sleep there in beds. Uh, in most cases, that renders the sukkah unfit. It is an impermissible interruption of the schach, the roofing. In the Gemara, Rav Chista uh, modifies the force of the Mishnah by saying, the Mishnah taught only about spreading a sheet under the roofing to collect falling leaves. If that was the purpose, it renders the sukkah unfit. However, it is for the, if it is for the purpose of beautifying the sukkah, that there is this decorative sheet one is using, that's okay. So it's worth noting that we have returned to the issue that has come up before about the intent of an action. By the same token, decorations that one might put in the sukkah, say hanging fruit, do not serve as an impermissible diminishment of the height of a sukkah if one is in danger of having the, uh, the height be too little. The Gemara then relates an episode that happened that illustrates a principle with regard to the, decor the interior decoration of a sukkah and to what extent that might render the sukkah invalid. Uh, say that the decoration is this sheet we talked about before, and if it is removed from the roofing by four handbreadths, according to two Talmudic sages, Rav Chista and Rabba Rav Huna, that invalidates the sukkah. So the episode is this. Those particular sages were visiting at the house of the exilarch, the Reish Galuta. Uh, this was the official in charge of the Jewish community of Babylonia, of the autonomous Jewish community of Babylonia. And they stayed in the exilarch's sukkah because it was over uh, Sukkot. Now, the exilarch sukkah was just the sort of sukkah with the decorations that they considered invalid. And Rav Nachman, who was in charge of the exilarch's household, noticed that he, he held the opposite opinion, that such a sukkah is valid. And he said to his colleagues, I thought you considered this sukkah invalid. Why are you sleeping here? 
Why did you not say anything? And they reply to him, Shlucha mitzvah anan ufitorin min hasukah. We are on our way to perform another mitzvah, and therefore we are exempt from this one. Uh, this illustrates uh, an important halachic point, which has not yet come up in this discussion of when there are two conflicting mitzvot, how does one determine what one is to do? And in some cases, one is exempt from a particular mitzvah when one is on the way to perform another one. Uh, especially when the when one of them can be delayed. The Gemara then continues with another example of a possible uh, impermissible interposition of something between oneself in a sukkah and the schach, the roofing. You're supposed to be directly under it. And that is different kinds of beds with different sorts of posts around which there is netting. And while they're on that subject uh, of, of netting and whether it constitutes a sort of cover over a bed or actually part of one's clothing, the, the sages discuss an issue uh, that was previously brought up in Tractate Barachot, and that is that there is a general rule that one is not supposed to recite the Shema naked. And they suggest that one can learn the halacha of whether netting around one's bed in a sukkah makes the, it leaves the sukkah valid or not from a statement from some of the rabbis of the Talmud. Uh, Rav Tachalifa Bar Avimi, quoting Shmuel, says that one who sleeps naked in a bed with netting and is required to recite the Shema moves his head out from under beneath the netting and recites the Shema. So in other words, uh, although the person isn't wearing any clothes, the netting is considered like a garment, and therefore he may recite the Shema. It's as though you uh, poked your head out from under your nightshirt. And thus concludes page 10. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.